rights regarding education. This presentation was given by Father David Shiri on October 12, 2020 and is sponsored by the Fatima Center. This is the second of two parts of a presentation on Catholic principles regarding education. This presentation is one element in the Fatima Center's response to the Vatican's Global Compact on Education signed on October 15, 2020. Hello and welcome to this second part of my talk on Catholic teaching on education. In my last talk, we looked at the teaching of the Church as summarized by Pope Pius XI in his encyclical Divini Ilius Magistri on the goal of education. We saw that an educated person is the true man or woman of character. That is, the man or woman who thinks, judges, and acts constantly and consistently in accordance with right reason and the supernatural teaching of Christ. In this talk, we're going to look at what the Church teaches on the rights of parents, the rights of the Church itself, and the rights of the state to educate. Then we're going to look at the child himself. Now, when we talk about the rights of parents and of the Church and of the state to educate, we need to know in our mind that rights come from duties. In other words, if you have a right to do something, it's because you have a duty to do it. So, for example, I have the right to go to Mass on Sunday. Why? Because I have a duty to go to Mass on Sunday. Parents have the right to educate their children because they have the duty to educate their children. And this duty is placed on them by God himself. Because the gift of life, which comes in a fruitful marriage, is given by God alone. And that is why parents have to think to themselves the great dignity that they have, that they share not only in God's life-giving power, but also in his fatherhood, because he entrusts his children to you. Now, this right of the parents is along with the right of the church and of the state. In a way, we could say that the church has the first right to educate because Christ said to the church, Go, teach ye all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So this duty of the church to teach all nations gives it a right to teach, but to teach the faith in order to lead all men to the knowledge of God and to eternal salvation. When you hear in the last uh, decades, some people say, well, you know, we shouldn't really proselytize or we shouldn't try to force people to become Catholics, they're getting a little bit mixed up. We cannot force people to become Catholics. That would be silly. And the church has always condemned those who have forced baptism on pagans. But we have a duty to go and teach because Christ told us to. We have a duty to bring the pagans because we would not be Catholics unless some missionary had come to teach our ancestors or to teach perhaps our parents or perhaps we ourselves if we're converts. And so this duty of the church 
to teach makes it an educator. The church also is our mother because she gives us life. And this motherhood of the church gives the church the right to teach her children. All children, adults and children. Now, the right of parents to educate is a right which comes to them from God and from nature. It is, in fact, a right which goes before all laws of the state. It is a right which is inalienable and anterior to all positive law. What does that mean? Well, inalienable means that you cannot lose it. If you alienate something, you put it away from yourself. But parents can never put away this right from themselves because they can never put away this duty. And it's anterior to positive law means that it doesn't come from the state. The state makes positive laws, but it cannot decide to take away the right of parents to educate their children. Now, this is of supreme importance because the error of totalitarianism, which was exemplified, for example, in communist Russia, decided that children and adults are, in fact, simply parts of the totality. They're parts of the state. And so there are no rights which they have which do not come from the state. But that's wrong. They have rights before the state. You see, the family is said to be an imperfect society. That means it doesn't have within it all that it needs to achieve its goal. Its goal being the raising of children and ultimately the formation of saints. It needs other families. And these families form a family of families which we can call the nation. But the nation is perfect. That's a technical term, which means that the nation is able to achieve its goal by itself, by the families working together. The church is a perfect society also because it's able to achieve its goal, which is to bring souls to heaven. But these two societies, or rather these three societies, work together. But the family comes before the state. In other words, the state does not have children. It's families that have children. And this family has rights which are not given to it by the state, but in fact given to it by God. And this is important because it means that the state cannot force parents to educate their children in a particular school or in a particular religion or in a particular way to think. The Catholic Church has always vindicated the rights of parents to raise their own children and not to have their children forced into a particular school. You might say, well, surely it would be better to take away the children of pagans and make them become Catholics. Well, it's true that it would be good for those children to be Catholics, but it would in fact be trampling on the rights of the parents to educate their own children. Now, this right of the parents is something which the state does not always recognize. In some countries, the state forces parents to send their children to state schools. But in fact, the school is something which should be set up by the parents, often in union with the church, because the parents retain their right to educate, and the school is simply an extension of the family. Now, 
simply because the family has rights which come before the state doesn't mean that the state has no rights. The state does indeed have a right to ensure that the citizens of the state are well informed of their duties and are able to be good citizens. The state, of course, can set up schools wherever that is necessary to support the family. So in some areas, let's say, that are quite remote, it may be very difficult for the families to come together to set up a school, and so the state can help the families supplement their efforts by setting up a school which nonetheless remains under the control of the parents, or if it is a school which has been set up with the church under the control of perhaps a religious order. The state can set up military schools and things like that, of course, but it has no right to force parents to send their children to their schools. Now, these rights are something which are there in order to educate children. So what are you dealing with? What is the, the person that you're dealing with? Sometimes parents look at their child who's behaved really well today. The child has done a fantastic job at everything, and the parent thinks, my son is a saint. My son is, is wonderful. Then the following day, he does something really strange, and he lets the parents down, and then the parent thinks, oh, my son is a devil. Well, the answer is he's neither of those things. He is a human being who has original sin. The author, Richmond Crompton, who wrote the Just William books, was asked one day why her hero, 10-year-old William, was somebody quite bold. And the, some readers, or rather the parents of the readers, were saying to her that because of your example, my son is now doing all sorts of uh, bold things, such as playing pranks on his older sister or laying traps for the neighbor. Well, you know, she said, I'm sorry, I did not invent original sin. If you want to educate your child properly, you must remember that he is a child who has two tendencies. He has a tendency towards good, which comes to him from his human nature elevated and redeemed by sanctifying grace, and he has a tendency towards evil by original sin. The Catechism teaches us that by original sin, our intellect is darkened, our will is weakened, our passions incline us to evil, and we are subject to suffering and death. And a child feels very much his passions. He thinks to himself when he sees the cheesecake in the fridge, I want that. Perhaps his mom says to him, well, don't touch the cheesecake because that's for dinner tomorrow. And he might have a battle in order to not touch the cheesecake. Why? Because his passions incline him to act unreasonably. And so the parent needs to remember that the parent is dealing with a human being, body and soul. St. Paul says that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. You can think about it a little bit like this, that the flesh is animal, and animals are not able to distinguish between truth and falsehood and between good and evil, and they don't have any concept of time. A good way to remind yourself that you have an animal part is the next time you sit down to watch a horror movie, ask yourself the question, why am I scared? I know that this is false. I know that the blood is in fact just ketchup. 
and I know that the monster is probably just made of cardboard or plastic, and yet I feel scared. How is that possible? The reason is because my animal part can't tell the difference. The dog can't really tell the difference between reality and a very good picture on a screen, whereas we can, or rather our soul can. Our body is often fooled. That explains also why we are tempted to bad things which we know are bad. It's because our animal part doesn't really care. So parents have to realize I'm dealing with both these things. How do those two things work together? Well, imagine it's like two people driving a car. In a car, you have a blind person. That would be your animal part, your body, which can't see, can't tell the difference between truth and falsehood or good and evil. Then you have a seeing person. That would be your soul. So question, who do you want driving the car? They can't both drive the car. And if the blind one is driving the car, you're not going to be going very far. And so you want the soul to drive the car. And that's really the key thing for parents to figure out how do I train my son or daughter to have the soul in the upper part. And that requires habits. And habits are formed very, very early. In other words, you need to educate your child from day one. A very important thing that you have to do is to teach your child to be obedient. Why? Because if the child is not obedient, then in fact it's his animal part which is coming out on top, doing what he feels like. And a child has lots of feelings. So he feels like, you know what? I'd like to jam this fork in the electric socket. Why not? Well, because that's very dangerous. And so the child has no idea what's going to happen because he's no experience. That's why he has parents. So the parents have to teach him to be obedient because if he doesn't learn to be obedient, then the moment the parent's not looking, the fork's going into the electric socket and your child is going to get fried. You don't want that to happen. Or maybe the child thinks it's going to be really funny to run out with my teddy bear in the middle of the road. Well, not very funny, in fact. The parent needs to have the child not do that. And so, the parents, at a young age, very young, two years of age, let's say, have to train their children to obedience. You have to eat your broccoli. child doesn't want to eat his broccoli. You have to make sure that he does. Unless, of course, he's very allergic to broccoli, but most children aren't. They just don't like the taste. And so, if you can do that, then you have won a major advance in the battle. Because you are an adult. You can think. The child doesn't really know anything yet. He's not even going to develop his use of reason until he's about seven. And so, you have to lead him. You lead him towards good habits. Should I just play my computer games all day? Absolutely not. In fact, parents should teach themselves about the ins and outs of children using computer games, using screens, and all of these things. give you a quick example. Imagine you give your eight-year-old daughter a smartphone. That is the worst thing that you could do. Why? Because a smartphone is a tool that you can use as a toy, but an eight-year-old only wants or knows how to use the toy. And so you've handed your child a toy that is extremely dangerous. It's like giving your uh, eight-year-old daughter a gun. Say, well, you know, it's a tool. Uh, she can use that, 
for good reasons, yes, but she's too young to use it. And so you've handed your eight-year-old girl a gun or maybe the keys to the car. Guess what's going to happen? Not good things. And so the eight-year-old girl finds out, well, actually, I can stay in contact with all of my friends on Facebook. And on Facebook and on InstaVanity, they're going to see that actually it's all about getting yourself out there, projecting yourself, showing everybody what you're like, how cool you are. Well, that's a sin. That's called vanity. It's called showing off. It's being a Pharisee, telling people how good I am, how cool I am. Our Lord said, watch out for the Pharisees. Whenever they do something good, they blow a trumpet in front of them when they do it. That's not what you should be teaching your child. And so you see how we should teach our children how to use things. Some people, let's say the, the Amish or the, uh, the Mennonites, think, well, all modern things are bad. No, they're not, but we need to use them properly. And so parents have to teach their children how to act, how to think, how to judge, always in accordance with right reason and the supernatural teaching of Christ. Now, this is, in a way, difficult, but in a way it's very easy because parents have got a nuclear weapon, a secret weapon, which really gets the job done. And that nuclear weapon is that God wants the same thing. He is absolutely on our side, helping us to achieve the goal of saints. Because the reason he gave life to your child, with your help, is so that he could have another saint in heaven. And so we have to rely on supernatural help, grace, by prayer and the sacraments. The prayer of the parents themselves, as they pray for the courage to do their duty with their children, and by teaching the children themselves to get their most important relationship right. If parents, as we could all do, get caught up in the world and maybe forget a little bit that God is number one, then the children are going to follow like that, and God's going to be something we tack on to the rest of our life. Whereas, in fact, God is the center of our life. He is number one. Then other things are not tacked on, but they normally flow from that, because all good things come from God. And so we see how this nuclear weapon of God's help is actually going to make it very possible and very easy for children to be well-educated. But it requires their parents to be heroes. And a hero is not somebody who runs 100 meters in less than nine seconds. A hero is somebody who does his duty no matter what. That's a hero. And parents of today are heroes. Now, we could give up a little bit and say, well, I'm living in such difficult times. I mean, we might as well be living in Sodom. How can I manage it? Don't worry. Because if God allowed you to live in difficult times, he's giving you all you need in order to do well in these times. He's not giving you the graces which you needed in the 12th century when civilization was Catholic and saying, okay, do with those now that civilization is not Catholic. He's giving you everything you need to live in 2020. So trust in him. Educate yourself on your duties and the ways of educating your children and trust in God and in Our Lady. Thank you very much for listening and for watching this video, and I hope that you have enjoyed it. 
and I look forward to giving some more talks if ever invited back. Thank you very much and God bless. This presentation has been brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Our prayer is that this presentation may enlighten your faith, strengthen your hope, and inflame your charity. Please also share it far and wide. It is a message so many need to hear. For more resources regarding the message of Our Lady of Fatima and the Catholic faith, we invite you to visit our website, www.fatima.org. St. Aloysius Gonzaga, pray for us. St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, pray for us. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Mm -hmm.